Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined this week by my coach, my friend, my pal, my Keyforge compadre. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, what's going on, man? I'm really excited to talk because we're going to be talking, I think, pretty much in the first real tangible way about mass mutation as a set it's about a month and a week essentially until it comes out on july the 10th internationally till we can get get our hands on those first decks no target leak that i'm aware of nothing like that going on so uh, uh, just you know, in germany i guess in europe is where mm-hmm. that happened yeah well they they should get a shot this time after uh, the u.s got such a such yep, a, fair. A, a wonderful shot last time to get a hold of a set but this is really the first time that we're, we're gonna have a real discussion on help from future self about mass mutation and the cards that we're excited to see are you as psyched as i am to talk about all these wacky cards in the set oh definitely I want to take a moment here to uh, thank all of the people who were on the show over the course of the last uh, bunch of episodes. Everybody like Two who months like, almost. Yeah, yeah. It was like a nice run of episodes. We were just going over every house to date. And I think that ushers us nicely into starting to talk about the future of Keyforge. Obviously, right now, Blake and I are going off of what cards are on their face and not necessarily based on what they're like in gameplay situations because there's very limited opportunity to do that at this point. And I specifically was choosing cards based on things that I thought would be interesting to talk about and less so what's been in the decks that have been available to play on TCO and in some other avenues. So my own experience here is purely based on just reading the cards and thinking about what they reflect in Keyforge but not necessarily about what I think the most winningest card is going to be. Yeah, I, I focus too on a similar idea, but also like what is good for the house moving forward? Because we mm-hmm. did spend a lot of time talking about uh, what we liked about the houses from the previous set, some of their their shortcomings. And I kind of want to focus on what I think is creating more to the identity as well as improving the house and balancing it there's some cards that i think are quite exciting that exist within this set uh we were just kind of having a pre-game chat leading up to this and we kind of mentioned that this mass mutations almost feels like a greatest hits album because you see a little bit from all the three sets some cards that are really fantastic plus the addition of some uh some new singles which is is really great yeah, definitely. We're still seeing some cards that are like, like you said, greatest hit styles. But I also really enjoy seeing cards from AOA specifically that I think mm-hmm. were sort of never as good as they could have been just because of the AOA meta coming back into this set and going, wow, like this Sanctum AOA card is going to be so awesome in the mm-hmm. context of what Keyforge is today. And it's such a different experience than it would have been playing this card back during the Age of Ascension era. And that's something that I really really love to see. Um, You mentioned that we were having a little pregame chat before we started up the podcast, and you said something that I thought was really interesting. I kind of wanted to expand on that a little bit before we start digging in on specific cards. You said that looking at the spoiled card set, you felt like everything was really well balanced. Every house looked like it had a ton of different interesting things in it and powerful things in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I just, when I was looking, well, so just to give you a preface of what we're about to do here is is we basically drafted houses. Uh, so we're each going to talk about three and then we decided to each choose two cards from Sanctum because it is the new kid on the block in this set, so to speak. So when I was looking at my three houses, I was just really impressed with 
with how things have built on what came before and that being all the three sets, but especially Worlds Collide, because I think I think that Worlds Collide created Keyforge in a way that we really like to play in terms of complexity and decisions and interactions. Mm -hmm. And that was really built on in this set. And I even mentioned that I think if you even took away enhancements, this set would still be absolutely amazing. Like, and that's just a nice little cherry on top for, for how great this set will probably be. Yeah. I, I sense a lot of fireworks from the gameplay of this set. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of decks in Worlds Collide gave us fireworks, and oftentimes, though, those fireworks were very centralized in certain houses. We're talking Storian, we're talking Star Alliance, we're talking Logos, and then every other house kind of having varying degrees, you know, from this being pretty great down to Brobnar being pretty terrible. Whereas when I look at every single house, I go like, oh man, I can't wait to play that card in Untamed. I can't play to wait to play that card in Star Alliance. I can't wait to play mm -hmm. this card in Sanctum. Like there's no dud house that I can see from examining the card set. Now it's going to be a matter of time until we actually get to play with them and start to get that feel. And to be totally and see fair, what comes together. Cause mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to actually like there's, the unlimited possibilities are what we're looking at, but what are they actually going to have programmed as like, okay, these are going to be together for, you know, the sake of the algorithms needs. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really psyched to see what starts coming together. I'm psyched to get my first seven sins type deck. I'm psyched to see uh, how Sanctum works on their return and how they've tweaked them. And that's probably a very good segue for us to get into talking about Sanctum. So we each picked a couple of cards, but there was one that we both wanted to talk about right off the top because I think it's a real interesting one. What card was that, Blake? That was a uh, Book of Malefaction. It's a uh, really cool Sanctum artifact that says, after your Ember is stolen, put a Warrant counter on Book of Malefaction for each Ember stolen. And then it has an Omni ability of remove a Warrant counter from Book of Malefaction if you do purge a creature. So good. It just creates a really interesting removal. I mean, it's it's only one creature, but it's it's I like that they're building on this anti-steal. Like if you steal, there's a cost, which, and and this in Sanctum in particular, I think it's quite a good flavor for what the house wants to do. I, I just, I don't know. I just think it's a really neat thing that you could have in it. And it's, and the fact that it's a purge ability and not just discard, it gives you a lot of abilities to do different things. And again, we're seeing more things with Ember being put on it. So that like, that, that also helps with, maybe you're going to purge a creature with a bunch of Ember on it. So it gives some interesting possibilities. And then if you have things that have destroyed triggers, you're negating those by purging. So I just think it creates a really nice proposition and having it in Sanctum and bringing that anti-steal to the table with them now in this way is, is very unique. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a thing that you're going to hear us both say a lot of times over the course of this podcast is this creates an interesting decision for your opponent to make. The question is, is it worth it for me to play this too much to protect or this bait and switch or, you know, kill this Brend the Fanatic knowing the tool that it's going to give my opponent with Book of Malefaction on the table? Maybe you go, well, I don't, this deck isn't like creature based, so I don't care if it purges all my creatures that are on the board. Or maybe you're like, dang, like I have so much captured amber because of all my Sorians or all of my Sanctum. I really can't afford to do any steals right now because it would enable them to purge creatures off the board. So it creates more interesting game states and also is a fact that like there's a choice there. It's not steel hate. It's steel decision forcing. And I like that a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So uh, noted, this is a rare card, so you probably won't see this frequently. But when you do see it, I think in, it's going to be one of those things in seal that's going to make uh, like you don't see it coming, and it's going to be really interesting to have on the field. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and depending on how the uh, the meta starts to develop, maybe Steel is like the the killer app again in this set. Then suddenly decks that have it will be more prized. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I want to kick things off here with a creature that stuck out to me when I was looking through uh, the Sanctum cards. Uh, this one is, of course, deeply lore resonant because we've been hearing about Gizzleheart for a long time. But we're not actually going to be talking about uh, Gizzleheart, the Mad Prophet himself. We're going to be talking about Gizzleheart's Zealot. Um, four power creature, no bonus for playing him. But Gizzleheart's Zealot comes into play ready and enraged. I love it. From a flavor perspective, it makes perfect sense. He's a zealot. He's coming into the game to kick some ass. And he's coming in. He's not going to reap. He's not going to do anything else for you. But the moment he hits the table, he puts in work as a combat card. And that, to me, is so cool for Sanctum and also so cool as just a flavor thing. You created a creature that speaks to that universe. It adds, uh, like more lore and more ways of thinking about the lore of Keyforge, while at the same time being very thematically flavorful. And it was just one that stuck out to me as like, what a cool new card. And I've been saying for ages that I think that an untapped thing that um, I would have liked to have seen in Brobnar for, for that matter, is the idea of cards that are combat cards coming in ready so that they can rock and roll right away instead of having to wait a turn and you can get more value out of them. I would love to see more of this going forward. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's really cool. I mean, it it's enraged, enters play ready. You, the idea is you just fight right away, take out a target. If you can survive, you have a body next turn, or just take out something that's a, that's a target that needs to be dealt with. It's really cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, Blake, what's your first Sanctum pick? So my first Sanctum pick is an action card, and uh, it's called Common Deer. You get an Ember Pit for playing it, and it has a play effect of for the remainder of the turn after you play another card, a friendly creature captures one ember. I really like that with Sanctum. It's it's uh, it's great ember control in an action form, and it's just promoting what you know Sanctum to be, and that's a crap a capture idea. And I just love it. I think it's like ember control is the cornerstone of making games interesting. That back and forth with taking someone off check, especially on the third key, who has more answers to make that happen. This is a card that further promotes that and the ability to have Sanctum as something you can call and stay alive. And you you notice a lot of different things here uh, in this set that that have capture and powerful ways of capturing. And I'm very excited to see how this plays out. Yeah, I think it's a super neat card as well. Um, Like you said, one of the classic themes for Sanctum, aside from armor and taunt, is capturing Amber. And I just like the idea of providing more different ways for that dynamic to be expressed across the entirety of the set. What's the rarity on this one? Common, it looks like. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's common. Absolutely fantastic. I love that. Uh, Moving on to my next pick. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a big old Sanctum body in a classic Sanctum style. Let's talk about Lady Lorena. So Lady Lorena, six power, three armor. So she's going to take a lot to get off the board. She's got taunt and check out this power. Lady Lorena's taunt applies to its neighbor's neighbor's. Neighbors, 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 neighbors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the two cards that are directly next to Lady Lorena aren't taunted. 
but the two cards next to them are taunted. And you, if you're a Keyforge player who's played Sanctum in the past and knows how to build those taunt battle lines with Sanctum, already has that pictured in your head. I love it because it's instantaneous taunt battle line, which is one of the coolest features that you can get going with Sanctum. Super flavorful, super thematic, and makes it super easy to protect your characters. If this thing hits the table and it doesn't have deploy, which means that you're still going to have an opportunity to take her out before such a time as she's able to fully build out that battle line on both sides, you're going to have a thing that you're going to have to decide uh, pretty quickly whether or not you're going to take care of it because there's so many good impactful creatures in Keyforge as always and in Mass Mutation and she provides so many opportunities to provide those creatures with protection via taunt. I think it's a super cool card. Oh, I do too. It's very Sanctum, adds that flavor, further enforces uh, what you want to see Sanctum doing and yeah, I'm, I think it's a really great addition to House Sanctum. All right, what do you got next? So my last one kind of feeds into my previous card, and it's in an artifact called uh, Emberheart. and has an action ability that is exalt, ward, and fully heal a friendly creature. So, I mean, you got big dudes that you want to smash things into, and you have ways to have before fight abilities, you have fight capture abilities, you have like the last card, you're just capturing it on creatures. This is a way you can exalt, ward, and fully heal a creature. So that means... If it has a fight ability, you're getting to use it for free without any damage, and it's exalted, so um, there's more ember on it, which means it's saved, and it just seems like a really great proposition. Um, so I just really like it. I think it, it makes sense for what exists within Sanctum. Like You want to protect your creatures, and it's interesting that there's an exalt aspect to it mm-hmm. as well, I find, because that is something we've seen almost exclusively in Saurians, and now we're seeing it in another house and if there was any house that house that was going to have that it makes sense that it would be sanctum yeah i agree with you entirely on that one i think that what we're going to see is a lot more cards that have this risk reward aspect to it or even not risk reward but cost aspect to them so yeah emberheart fully uh heals a creature Make sure that creature is warded so that it's going to be even harder to take them off the board when it comes around to your opponent's next turn, but it puts a piece of amber into the game. Now, it's quite possible that you'll have cards in your deck that allow you to take advantage of that, but it's also quite possible that that amber ends up in your opponent's pool once they finally take care of the creature that you played amber heart on uh, or that you use amber heart to put uh, their action on. So, yeah, just more... Uh, I think costs and things you're going to have to think about whether or not it's worth the cost to you, which I think factors largely into the kind of gameplay that you and I always talk about the idea of uh, what is an Amber worth is uh, mm-hmm. possibly your opponent getting an Amber worth you exalting and warding a creature. Well, it depends on the creature. It depends on the gameplay scenario, but once again, more decision points and those things make the game more interesting. Agreed. Let's move on to another house. I want to start talking a little bit about the Saurians. Um, I really wanted to talk about the Saurians specifically because I've been a critic of their power level in the past, as well as thinking that a lot of design decisions around them were made in such a way that they made the game oftentimes a little less interesting for me because of their power level. I really like what I'm seeing in Mass Mutation when it comes to the Saurian creatures, and I want to start things off by talking about a card that I think represents that pretty well, which is Faust the Great. So Faust the Great's deal is that he's a four-power dinosaur, and what he says is your opponent's keys plus cost plus one for each friendly creature with amber on it, 
and you may exalt a friendly creature on play. So it's key cost increase, which is one of my favorite forms of amber control because it's a thing that impacts your ability to uh, forge keys without actually taking amber out of your opponent's pool. It rewards you for having other creatures with amber on them, but with the fewer cards in the Saurian set overall that can take advantage of having that kind of amber on captured creatures, it basically is just saying, all right, well, I'm going to stall you right now with all the amber that I've got captured, which is cool, but eventually at a certain point, you're going to take out Faust or you're going to take out all my creatures with amber on them, and then you're going to have a huge amount of amber to begin with. So it's an interesting one, and I think a design uh, space that I really like see Saurian moving into. Totally agree. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I've uh, I've actually played with this card before, and it's uh, it's in some of the, the print and play decks, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to use, and granted it literally makes everything it becomes an instant target of course it's like a it's like a witch dinosaur almost mm-hmm. at certain times but it's it does create very interesting decisions and gameplay like we like yeah what's your first card from a house that you want to talk about let's let's finish your uh, your story ends. i want to hear them both now all right sounds good so the next one that i want to talk about is an action called legion's march you get a pip of amber for playing it it's got really fun cute artwork here's what it does Play. For the remainder of the turn, after you use a dinosaur creature, deal one damage to each non-dinosaur creature. Love it. It's going to cause damage to your own guys, but that's on use, not necessarily on attack or reap or anything else. So you're always going to get that effect with Legion's March. It's going to ping off tons of wards, which is fantastic because basically what it means is that you're going to be able to ping off wards. You're going to be able to take out those small creatures that are bothersome just by using your dinosaur creatures, and your dinosaur creatures will not get any damage from this happening. Now, if you're playing against other Saurians, well... It's going to be a different story, but at the same time, I like these cards that reinforce a little bit of that Saurian in-house, but that, of course, narrows down your gameplay options because it means you're not going to want to play creatures which might be affected by this if part of your deck is really dependent on playing Legion's March. I just thought it was a cool, interesting design. Yeah, I like it. It's really neat. All right, why don't we move on and talk about one of your houses? I think I have an inkling of who you might want to talk about first. Who we got? You know it, Star Alliance. Yeah. All right, so first up for me, I have a creature that is uh, uncommon. It's a two-power called Hayden Oswin. has a reapability of gain one ember for each upgrade on Hayden Oswin. So we saw in the Worlds Collide set that Star Alliance likes their upgrades, and there's no reason to think that that has not changed now that we are in mass mutations there's a lot of great upgrades a lot of Mm -hmm. interesting decisions with upgrades and having a creature that rewards you for having upgrades on it i think is fantastic it's just going to be a card that can burst and there's a lot of different things that artifacts have uh sorry the upgrades exist that are going to protect that are going to boost that are going to make you want to be using that reap ability and gaining ember in doing so i just think it's going to create a really fun and bursty aspect to Star Alliance, which we've already seen. And so it's, again, improving what already exists. I really dig the idea that Hayden Oswin is not quite a must-kill, but if you've been paying attention to your opponent's deck list, Hayden Oswin might be a must-kill. Mm-hmm. You really does reward you for looking how many upgrades do they have, how many are in Star Alliance, so that they could drop three of them on Oswin next turn and then reap for three amber. Those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in seeing. 
because it is yeah. rewarding you for paying attention to the game. What's your next Star Alliance? I actually really, really like this card because we saw in Worlds Collide the emergence of Star Alliance being a house that you can call the entire game without calling any other house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is has to do with cycling. So if you're kind of on that train, there's a card called, uh, it's an action called New Frontiers. You get an Ember Pit for playing it, and it says, choose a house, reveal the top three cards of your deck, archive each card of the chosen house, and discard the others. That's cool. Deck I like filtering. That. I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to keep calling Star Alliance, you're basically getting rid of things that aren't Star Alliance, and then archiving your Star Alliance, drawing into more of, hopefully, Star Alliance, and you just keep going. And obviously, being aware of what you've played and the numbers that are in your deck are going to be very important when using this card, especially... Um, maybe if you're actually not going to even call Star Alliance, you want to call another house and you're basically prepping for that to happen by fueling your archives. You can have that much bigger of a turn. Uh, This makes me think of, um, you know, just wanting to get that efficiency because you're going to cycle more, uh, get more cards. And there are cards that reward your archive um, and that's in house logos. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Which is another cool way of interacting with an archive, which is a thing that you mm-hmm. and I, I think are both on record as saying that we, we like it when you can do things with the archive that are more than just, I put a card in my archive or I pull my archive. Yep. And it's just, again, it's a cycle card. And that's something, if you've played Keyforge for long enough, you realize that just cycling through your deck in pretty much any way possible is going to put you in an advantage. When you can turn over your deck, you're, you're most likely uh, in a winning position. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I just want to make a quick note here about Star Alliance. I'm super happy about the artifact layout in Star Alliance because they kept four amazing artifacts. Mass Mutation has General Order 24, Peace Accord, Quixel Stone, and Transporter Platform. Pretty hard to argue with that. Yeah, especially if you're you're using like, like Hayden Oswin with Transporter Platform. I mean, it could get silly. All right, moving on a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about House Dis, um, or Dis, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm always going to say Dis. I'm never going to be able to correct myself, so I'm just going to lean into it these days. Um, uh, a lot of talk has already happened online about the Seven Deadly Sins, so I didn't necessarily want to pick one of those, but I really wanted to talk about this car, Eaton's Jar, or Etan's Jar, I guess. It's an artifact, and its playability is play, name a card, until Etan's Jar leaves play, cards with that name cannot be played. It's so cool because although there is more artifact like control within Mass Mutation than I think we've ever seen before across any set, it's still not going to be ultra common and it's not a guarantee your opponent's going to have it. And you could use this to cripple an incredibly important card for their strategy. Let's say you're going up against an opponent who's playing a Quixelstone deck. On your third turn, you throw down Eaton's Jar and say, Quixelstone can't be played until Eaton's Jar leaves the table. You might have absolutely crippled their deck. Or they have one card that you have to worry about because it's going to be a severe impediment to your card, Let's or to your deck strategy. Let's say that they've got um, uh, too much to protect to punish your burst. Eaton's Jar handles that. It is super utility and is not the easiest thing in the world to deal with unless your opponent has artifact control. I think it's a really cool design. Also, if like they only have one card that can do board wipes and you've got some big bodies in your deck, you can literally just call their board wipe and then that's going to be problematic. Coming up, we got a card that I am so excited about. Um, you and I were talking about a little bit of today, just over Messenger. Um, it's at Common. You get a pip of Amber for playing it. It's called Mark of Dis. This is the return of Control of the Week. 
But check this out. Its playability is deal two damage to a creature. If it is not destroyed, its controller must choose that creature's house as their active house on their next turn. So think about this for a moment. I'm playing Mark of Dis, and I'm either removing a creature that's damaged or was two power or less to begin with, or I'm forcing my opponent to choose a certain house next turn. But we know for a fact that they'll have at least one card on the board they can use because I did damage to a creature which wasn't destroyed. So unless it's stunned, they're probably going to be able to get some value out of that. So to me, this is taking an overpowered card like Control the Weak and adding conditions to it that makes it more of an even exchange across the board. Now, still, the person who plays Mark of Dis is getting way more value out of it than their opponent, but it's making it so that there's fewer control the weak, oh, I didn't get to do anything turns, which are a thing that always bugs me, even when I put them on to another person, because it's not the way that I feel like the game should be played. I feel like everybody should get a chance to, quote, have a turn, and this, I think, evens that out a little bit. It is still ridiculously powerful. You're going to see decks that have, like, three or four of these at common, and it's going to be backbreaking to play against them. Just, just a cool design and one that I think that you're going to have to look out for pretty hard when you're uh, setting up uh, and looking at your opponent's deck list. I think for me personally, I would almost never use this to destroy a creature. It's going to be always to make them have to call a house. And I think what I would most likely do is just swing a creature on board to take it out, even if it's a trade, just so they don't have that creature anymore. That's most likely would be my philosophy for it. And I even think like Mark of Dis, Gateway to Dis, have fun. That's a, that's a good one. So you, you, you literally, and if you have multiples, um, well, I guess you must choose. So that's, that's different. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to use that, but, uh, you could go turn after turn, but I think the gateway to display is, is really nice. Cause then that gives you control of, it doesn't matter what you're pinging. You just look at their, their discard, figure out what they've played the most of, like you would with uh, control the weaker, any of those other house restrictive cards mm-hmm. and you just wipe the board and then do that and you play your creatures after like classic gateway to display as i see uh, this coming into play yeah super cool all right so for me next up i wanted to talk about logos and the the new fun things that exist there uh first up i have is a card actually i have two artifacts for this i've been i've been choosing <laughs> the artifacts uh, a lot today but i gotta say that artifacts have definitely become some of my favorite aspects of Keyforge. And I'm finding that Mass Mutation is really putting the pedal to the floor with artifacts in the set and really giving us some great opportunity and some great decisions to be made. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first up, I have Animator, and it has an action ability of move an artifact to a flank of its controller's battle line. For the remainder of the turn, if it is a creature with three power that belongs to the active house, if it leaves the battle line when when it's no longer a creature. That's really interesting from a design standpoint. It basically creates an opportunity to destroy artifacts. And I think that's really neat. Like, I really like that that is something that exists in Logos. But it's obviously creates, you know, multiple things. But I mean, bouncing Death Quark exists in this. So you could literally make it a creature and then start bouncing Death Quark and getting rid of that, which I think is is a really uh, interesting decision to be made. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Once again, we're seeing some pretty powerful artifact control in this set. And the fact that animator is repeatable, like that's not mm-hmm. an action. It's literally, you could do this turn over turn if you wanted to. Yep. It's true. Fantastic. 
And the other card I have is called, uh, it's another artifact, and this one is a rare. They're both rares, actually, so you're not going to see them that frequently, unfortunately, but um, they're still, I think, really special and really uh, cater to what we want to see in houses moving forward, especially logos. Uh, it's called AutoVac 5150, and it's, again, got an action ability. It says, you may discard a random card from your archives. If you do, keys cost plus three during your opponent's next turn. Otherwise, archive a card. So you may do it. So you don't have to. So it can basically be a way to constantly archive a card every turn on Logos. Or if you need to, it can be providing utility to increase key cost. So I that, think that's just such an interesting uh, utility like ability. It's not uh, It's not Omni, right? Like you have to be in Logos. No, you have to be in Logos. Power. Yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, yeah, it would be totally crazy. But yeah, they, like you basically have a combination of a uh, Blash of Broken Dreams that can archive if you don't want to use the lash power. And that's super interesting to me because uh, Logos has a ton of what we think of as being sort of like these really nice utility cards that provide you with lots of options. This is just more options. Yeah, agreed. Let's move on to House Untamed. I'm liking a couple of different cards that I'm seeing here. Um, Let's talk about a card called Look What I Found. This one's an Omega which it's fun to see Omega and Alpha back in in, in uh, the game. Omega uh, action, and what it does is you play it, and you can return one card of each type, action, artifact, creature, upgrade, from your discard pile to your hand. Now, that's obviously powerful. It's going to happen at the end of the turn or when you've... Uh, but, I mean, it basically means that if you have a hot, untamed action that you just played or a hot, untamed uh, creature or something else like that that you just killed by fighting with it, you can use Look What I Found at the end of turn to bring them right back into your hand. I dig that, and it's an aspect of Untamed that I really love, which is the idea of growth and rebirth. Things that have left come back again, and you get to play them again the next time you want to call Untamed. I dig it just because it really does build on that idea, and I think that's an interesting and good one for House Untamed. Agreed, totally. I think it's a fantastic card. I mean, you can you can set up some really powerful things potentially with that. Next up, we've been talking a little bit about artifact control. I feel kind of bad that I haven't been doing as many creatures, but boy, this creature Blossom Drake, let me tell you, four power creature, Blossom Drake gets plus one power for each artifact in play. All right, that would be fine. And I think in a lot of other sets, that's kind of where it would have ended. And so Blossom Drake would always be like, well, in some decks, it'll be a powerful creature. And that's that. However, in this set, the way they designed it is Blossom Drake gets one power for each artifact in play. Each artifact, both you and your opponents, each artifact's text box is considered blank except for traits. So a kind of artifact control that we have never seen before, nullification. We're not taking artifacts off the board. We're not destroying them. We're not stealing them. We're not putting them back in people's hands. We're not putting them back up on top of the people's decks. We're not purging them from the game. We are literally saying that they just don't matter while this guy is on the board. So Blossom Drake gives you breathing room. You drop a Blossom Drake, and it doesn't matter how many, like, back-breaking different uh, uh, artifacts that your opponent has on the table. Let's say they got a General Order 24 and they have a Peace Accord and they got a Quixel Stone and it's just been completely destroying you because you can't do anything without one of those artifacts slowing you down. Blossom Drake opens that back up and he becomes a must-deal with for your opponent. Love that design. Oh, yeah. Man, it's so cool. 
And I mean, if you have a deck that has like almost no artifacts, this is just going to be win more for you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I did want to note something. Um, as much as we've been saying that we think that the set is really well designed, I'm seeing a lot of stuff in Untamed that is basically the equivalent of um, giving people bonus power. Like, you know, play this card and give people plus one power. And that's something I never really like to see that much because I never find it very impactful at all. And I kind of wish they would get away from that stuff with Untamed. I don't like healing in Untamed and I don't like, you know, buff all your other creatures in Untamed. I like to see other things in Untamed. I like to see rewards, regrowth, like we were talking about earlier, the power of nature type cards. I'm kind of interested to see that Fertility Chant is back, which I think is an interesting burst card because now we're dealing with the fact that Fertility Chant is much more punishable by other cards. Yeah, it's it's interesting Cough, stuff. Infernus. Yes, exactly. Infernus still here. That was one of the things I looked for. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of Fertility Chants like, potentially just get archived and you don't use it because it could just hurt you so badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely could. Although, you know, at some point we should have that conversation about Fertility Chant and whether or not Fertility Chant is actually as bad as it seems in the world of Infernus because it could be like almost... You know, it's it's obviously got the potential for your opponent to get something and you to end up with nothing, but it also has the potential for you to maybe get away with uh, having it and then, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So in- interesting stuff. It'll be interesting to see the way that plays out. Uh, Blake, why don't we move on to the final house we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, it's Shadows. The one that I am, I think, the most excited for in the sense that where Shadows was and where it's now gone. I really like the decisions that were made within House Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing a lot of cards from Coda in this that I'm like, oh, it's great to see this back, and I can see the impact they're going to have now. I think it's going to be very fun and very interesting to see the way Shadows works now. So the first card I have within Shadows is one that actually did appear in the decks that were released, and I found it amazing, great flavor, great idea and makes a lot of sense within shadows and the flavor of being a thief and stealing and that is called an upgrade mole you get an ember for playing it and it says this creature gains your opponent may spend ember on this creature as if it were in their pool so it's essentially a calfigian ideal or a senator shrix but you get to play it so that is just amazing i think that's that's such a cool thing it makes so much sense to exist within shadows and I mean, everything about this card just is right up what I want to see. It's really cool art, too. I love the mole's, yeah. like, weird little mole costume that it's wearing and is accompanied by actual moles. That's yeah, really fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. What it's else? Also, uh, it's a Natalie Russo art, which is, you know, one of my favorite artists in the game. She's absolutely fantastic and has done a lot of wonderful Gruen art over the years, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. And then last up for this, I have one called Shoulder. I can't, I don't know if it's Shoulder ID or Shoulder Ed, but it is a uh, specter creature. So we're seeing the return of a specter. And I think this is kind of replacing Shadow Self in a way and in a, in a really, really unique and interesting way. So it's a six power creature that has taunt and it says Shoulder Id cannot fight. When Shoulder Id would take damage, steal one instead. That's a really cool proposition. So in order to take this off, you're at the very least losing, getting one ember stolen. Yes, and the taunt ability means that there's a reason to fight into it. Yes. 
So somebody drops this and uses it to protect, you know, any number of the cool creatures that we've talked about. Uh, let's see, somebody's got one of those blossom drakes and they use shoulder id to protect it. You're basically saying, I, I resign myself to losing an amber so that I can take this thing off the board. Or worse, I don't have a six power creature with the firepower to take this out. So I'm going to have to fight multiple creatures into this thing and mm -hmm. each time give up an amber. That's great. Now, that's got the potential to be real damaging, but also makes your opponent think about when they want to fight into the shoulder id. Can I survive a couple turns of it protecting something else until I've forged a key, am at zero amber, and then can take out the shoulder id? Those are interesting gameplay scenarios. Yeah, I really like it. I think it's it's one of the most interesting because, I mean, Shadow Self was, like, people loved it, and it hasn't been back since and this was uh, the evolution of shadow self and i think it's it's a great evolution it makes so much sense absolutely a little bummed out that we aren't getting ronnie back in this set like there's lots of cool cards to replace ronnie but ronnie seems so iconic to me and this is kind of a shame but hopefully we'll get to see ronnie again at some point in the future mm -hmm. man it has been so fun starting to look at this set starting to really think about the way that it's going to play uh the next five weeks are going to be extremely long um blake uh, you know, I, I just got to say that uh, I, I feel like we're probably going to have at least another episode where we talk about cards coming up in the set before the actual set comes out. Would you say that that's probably a strong possibility? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Excellent. We cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. This one is from me this week. Um, this one comes down to when you're playing a real quick game, like let's say you have time to only play a single game over the course of your lunch hour, perhaps, which is oftentimes the, the play, way that I'm playing Keyforge these days. If you need a quick game, it probably is polite of you if you're playing against a random opponent to let them know what your time constraints are because it's a bummer when people have to bounce because their lunch hour is up or something else comes up and they can't stay for the entire game, especially if it's a game that's been playing draggy. Also, it gives your opponent an opportunity to say, I'm not really into that or I'm playing a super grindy deck so you might not want to play and then nobody's time gets wasted. Um, it's a thing that I oftentimes don't make a point of trying to converse with my opponent about um, and I'm trying to be better about it because I feel like it's going to lead to less like irritating situations where games don't get finished or one person feels like they got short shrift from a game. So just a little bit of communication with your opponent, uh, letting them know the scenario that you're in. Uh, oftentimes I think is very helpful in making sure that games are more fun to play overall. Good call. You can find us on social media at HFFS podcast on Twitter. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on Twitter, and on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight, as well as on YouTube with different content going up there. All kinds of different content. Blake, I am super, super interested to talk to you about some point about some of this interesting new game that you've been giving me little tidbits about, this new podcast that you have going for it. I, I want you to sit me down at some point and teach me how to play this game because I think it would be a lot of fun. Oh, 100%, man. We'll do it for sure. All right. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're so excited for Mass Mutation, so excited to talk to you about Mass Mutation. But until next time, stay fortunate.